Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're listening to Daily Truth. We, we always forget the second half of the text in Philippians. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes and amen. But then it continues to say, knowing that it is God who wills and works in and through you that which is good and pleasing in his sight, that which is in accordance to his will. So the text literally says, you, man, have a responsibility, moral culpability, human agency, you got to do something. And not just you needed to have done something. You need to be continually, presently, ongoingly, which is probably not a word, ongoingly doing something. But if that happens to be the case, it is only because God is doing something. Right? God is the first cause. God is the, the first cause. You and I, we're just the cue ball. We're just the cue ball that goes and hits, you know, the, the, the seven into the right corner pocket. And really, that, that's probably giving our, ourselves too much credit. We're probably the seven ball that gets hit by the cue ball, that gets hit ultimately by the cue stick, which is ultimately guided by the person playing pool. You and I are doing something. We are. But we're doing something because God is working in us. And that brings up the, what, what you would call in philosophical terms an, an apparent paradox. It's not a true paradox because the laws of non-contradiction are God's laws. God does not contradict himself. But there are things that appear to be a paradox. And one of the big, giant, apparent paradoxes within the Christian faith that we find within the Bible is this. Human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Which one is it? The answer, of course, is yes. That's the answer. The answer is yes. People are responsible. People have agency. People make choices. And they will be held accountable by God for the choices that they make. And God is meticulously sovereign. And as the late great R.C. Sproul used to say, there's not one maverick molecule in all the universe. And if there was, you and I would have absolutely no reason to go home today with a sense of peace. That's what I don't get. I don't get when people who hate the sovereignty of God make the pithy statement, well, God's still on his throne. You don't believe that. So don't say it. Don't lie. You don't believe God's on his throne. Because God being on his throne doesn't mean anything for you. Right? Because, yeah, God's on his throne, but God has made a pact with all of humanity, like 8.2 billion people, that because God is so concerned about true love, he's going to have free will, because we all, you know, we've all heard some, you know, beta theologian make that argument before, where, you know, you can't have true love unless you have free will. And so God, because he's so insecure and has to be truly loved, he's made a pact to, to uphold the free, autonomous agency of 8.2 billion people simultaneously, which means that God being on his throne is like the same as saying that, you know, there's a termite on their throne. 
They can't do anything. Right? If God honors all the choices of people and never is sovereign over anything, never working in anything, then it's like, well, yeah, but he's sovereign over me because I have chosen to submit to his sovereign rule. I've made Jesus Lord. That's what it means for him to be sovereign. He's sovereign of his own because, because we submit to his kingship. That's great, but what about your pagan neighbor? And what if he chooses to get drunk and behind the wheel of his car and he's on the road at the same time as you and your three kids are in the back seat? God honors the free will of your neighbor. And God's devotion to the free will of your neighbor trumps his love and protection for you, said the Arminian. Not the Calvinists, praise God. No, we think that God's love for his own trumps his devotion of protecting free will for the pagan. We believe that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And the word working is not God is salvaging all things. That's not what the text says. It doesn't say things are happening that are outside of God's control because people have free will, but when bad things happen, God tries to go in and, you know, he takes lemons and makes lemonade. Mm -mm. No, God is working. The, the, The root of the word, what it's saying is God is orchestrating all things. He's planning all things with intention. He's not just salvaging or fixing bad things. He is planning all things. And some of the things that he plans are bad things. But he plans even bad things for his good and glorious purposes. Think about that. Just to give one example. The crucifixion of Jesus was a bad thing. Was Jesus a sinner? The answer is no. So what do you call, what do you call it when, when, people put someone who's perfectly innocent to death. Do we have a word for that? It's murder. Is murder a good thing? No. But did God bring about some good things through the murder of Jesus? (laughs) Yeah. It's the only reason you and I have hope. I mean, we could go all the way back, not just the gospel with Christ, we could go back to the garden. I mean, there are days where I'm sure you feel the same. It's like, Like, really, you had to eat that fruit? Because we're experiencing a lot of consequences from you eating that fruit. I hope it was tasty. I hope it was worth it. Right? But think about this. If sin had never entered the world, there were entire aspects of God and his attributes that you and I would know, but there are others that we would not. If sin had never entered the world, we would always be able to know God as loving, but we would never be able to know him as gracious. The mercy of God would be a foreign concept. We would never know his mercy because we would never have fallen. We would never need his mercy. That's why angels, the Bible says, uh, Peter writes in his epistle, angels even long to look into these things. Angels marvel at these things. What things? The gospel. Because angels witness grace, but they have never experienced it. Angels know mercy from the position of an observer. You and I know mercy from the position of a recipient. We don't watch mercy. We receive mercy. Thanks so much for listening, but real quick, Before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly 
the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.